For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. In the, immor- in the immortal words, in the immortal words of Stephen Eady, you're walking along the street or you're at a pub. Oh, I'm sorry. Sounds like an outtake to me. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. The voice of choice, Bruce Ford, Killer Ken Resnick, wonderful Willie the Legend Maker, Bill After, back after a long hiatus. I haven't done this show. I haven't done Manny Fernandez's show. This is my first show in two weeks. I probably forgot how to do this. Wow. Well, you're doing really, really, really well so far. And and Bill and I both send our gratitude to the bail bondsman that got you sprung. That was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. That bail bondsman looked like Bruce could have gotten the bail bondsman out of jail. (laughs) Well, here we are. Wait, wait, what was his name? Rat boy? Oh, no. Malcolm. It wasn't rat boy. It wasn't rat boy. It was Malcolm or granny or something like that. Oh, we're back again together. And since I think the last time we talked, Paul Orndorff was in not so great shape. We saw, I don't, I don't want to say an inappropriate video, but there was a um, video a hurtful, of, hurtful uh, from yeah. his son. And, and since then, unfortunately, Paul Orndorff passed away on July 12th, 2021 at age 71. And I thought today, since we'll have a sh- abbreviated show, we could dedicate that to the life and career of Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, who you both worked with uh, in uh, in WWE, Ken and Bill, across all of his- uh, Every territory, history. yeah. yeah. So, so we will do that. But I, I did want to start the show today with just a, a general question on wrestling. And I got this, I, I, won't, I won't say the name, it's off the top of my head. Wait, wait, wait. He's, Ken, you notice he's getting that smile, which means this is a loaded question. Yeah, no, yeah. That that's his tell. Yeah, it has yeah. nothing to do with Helmet Gutman or anybody wrestling burn in a nursing home. Well, let just, that go. This is a question that I got, and I'm paraphrasing. It's been a long week for me, so I haven't gotten to organize our mail like like I normally do. But the question was related to. Monday Night Raw, because we don't talk about professional, modern professional wrestling on this show a whole lot anymore anyway. Oh, sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. And the question was regarding whether or not you two watch the current product, because we don't talk about it. And and before I ask you that, and I will, I just want to say we don't talk about the current product because I don't watch it. And I don't think that there's a lot of shows that focus on the current product. We want to bring you the stories behind the scenes with Ken and Bill. So that's my answer. But uh, I'll start with you, Bill. Do you watch the current wrestling? I do. I do. I'm a regular Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday being Raw, Wednesday, AEW, Tuesday nights when uh, I'm DVRing uh, NXT, uh, Friday nights SmackDown. I do watch Impact Wrestling. But what struck me in the past few weeks, and I'm glad that WWE and AEW are Uh, going back on the road. But what struck me the last few weeks is it's the first time in my career in this business, turning on a show like Raw and going like, who is that? I'm not not really sure who certain of their people are and are they at the level they should be 
uh, on Raw, and the shows just seem to be a little more disjointed or repetitious uh, than usual. There, there's a lot of repetition of, you know, feuds that seem to be going on longer than Jimmy Valiant and Ivan Koloff way, way, way back when, which was, uh, you know, I'm, uh, every week, you know, uh, Sami Zayn and uh, 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 Kevin Owens and... and uh, it has been going on for years. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the um, and the believability factor again. There, it's world wrestling entertainment. That the E is the correct is the the letter out there. But just the stuff that they were doing with Jinder Mahal and uh, uh, Drew Gallagher's uh, uh, sword and the the whole Alexa Drew Blitz McIntyre thing. What did I say, Drew Gallagher? Drew yeah. Gallagher. You were thinking That's Galloway. Who, you got stuck on Gallagher. Right. And Bill, I would say this, the, the E, the last letter in E is also the last letter in love. But some of you will know what that means. All right. That was a pretty good invitation. I did say Drew Gallagher. They do, I meant Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre. Can you watch the current product? You know, <clears throat> once in a while, I, I make a point, you know, having, you know, been privileged enough to, to work in WWF, which is now WWE, I, I, I try and tune in to, to Raw and SmackDown periodically. And a little like Bill, as I watch it, I kind of say to myself, why am I watching this? <clears throat> and, and Bill and, and Bruce, you're both right. Not only did the, the feuds never seem to get paid off, but they continually get resurrected. But to, to me, what bothers me a degree, you know, back when I was in the AWA, WWF, even the, the AWF, the feuds were built. You know, they, they were built for weeks and sometimes months. And now it's like there'll be a talking head at the beginning of the show. And, oh, now we've got this massive feud and they're going to wrestle later. It, it's like uh, it just it, it doesn't mean anywhere near as what it used to. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it, it's not. Uh, the feuds are going on longer than they should. Now, I'm not of the point of why am I watching this? I'm watching this because I, I not only do I cover it, but I'm interested in it. But I'm finding the show very disjointed. And like the main event last night uh, with the uh, uh, with the, the women who are all excellent. Uh, and then Bobby Lashley turning against it seemed he was going to turn against uh, MVP etc. That was a good ending. But the match leading up to that with the women was just like, why are they, what are they doing? Why? It's yeah. just, everybody's jumping in. And uh, just, that's what I said. I, I'm to the point, <clears throat> why am I watching this? And another thing, and, and Bill, you, you just kind of hinted on it. What bothers me a little bit, having been and learned AWA, WWF, AWF, it's like, the championships don't really mean anything like, you know, Friday night, they're building up to the, the Sunday night, Bobby Lashley, you know, defending the title uh, at money in the bank. And he gets beat Friday night. Yeah. I mean, yeah. non-title, but Monday night, right. Like, yes. You yeah. know, I, I, I say to myself, you know, having, you know, sat in on a lot of booking meetings, I literally said to myself, I, I don't understand the purpose in beating him Friday night, Monday night on television when you're trying to promote this big title defense. It's like it just. Well, I kind of got that. I, I, I kind of got that when I was growing up watching wrestling, they would have like uh, Buddy Rogers would be but God, he's old me. Uh, Buddy Rogers would lose in a non-title match to Billy Darnell. And then they'd have them, you know, the shoot off at the Gardner Center. And you went to see Rogers lose the title because this guy pinned him. So it's got to be a title change, right? But but, it, but it's, you know, he lost to one guy Monday night and he's wrestling yeah. a different guy in Money in the Bank. And for those people that, that didn't see it, we talked about it before we started taping the show. 
that didn't see it on social media. After 30 years, I had dinner with Tony Gurria this past yeah. Saturday. You know, we spent about three and a half hours together and, you know, telling a lot of war stories, talking about, you know, today's product versus, you know, his glory years, my glory years. And, and the, the biggest thing that Tony said, and we kind of kept going back to, is the matches today, there's almost no psychology. It's kind of high spot after high spot after high spot. But like Tony said, back in the day, during the match, there was enough psychology and the wrestlers gave the fans time to become invested in the match. And it's so boom, 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 today that they don't really have time to get invested or to appreciate the high spot that was just done before there's already another one to overshadow the one they didn't really have time to appreciate or become invested in. And the match before them did the same spots. Yeah. I mean, flying up, you know, over the, the top rope happens, you know, it used to be an incredible high spot. Now it happens three, four times in almost every match and both Tony and I agreed the, the most maddening thing is we were talking about it in a lot of the matches, you'll see the opponents outside on the ring positioning, waiting to catch the guy. Waiting to catch him. Yes. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Manny was talking about this, uh, no BS with the bull, which also airs on VOC nation a little bit behind. Like I said, we're going to record tomorrow and hopefully it'll drop on uh, Wednesday, the 14th this week but i'm going to tell him you said he's got a little bit behind okay go ahead Manny was talking last on the last episode about he did an independent show and he watched he was there for an award which you presented phil really cool experience two voc nation hosts uh, with the voc nation paraphernalia on the same show and it was a nwa show in texas and so manny gets this award and he stays for the matches and he was saying how everybody used the same moves in every match and um, a lot of moves that were finishing moves, which used to be sacred. You know, you don't take somebody else's finisher and it could be the finisher in one match and a mid mid match spot in another match. And, you know, he was, he was, he's very opinionated about not liking that style and the psychology being lost. And I I think he was attacked for it by a lot of doing what they did. They're doing what they see on TV. Yeah. They all want to be the guys that they see on TV. But here's what happens, Bill. And, and, you know, from somebody that used to be a fan, that's still a fan of things on the WWE network that happened before 2000, let's say. When I watch, if I watch AEW or NXT or WWE and I'm watching the match and, and it, there's high spots galore in every match, when there is a downtime in that match, I'm not invested. I'm, I'm looking for the next big move. Yep. In the old days, I'd watch and I'd watch the abdominal stretch to see, and I'm invested. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm waiting for that person to finally break free of that move. And, and then something as, as simple as knocking, going against the ropes and doing a shoulder block is, is big because it's all about the lead up and the buildup and getting you emotionally invested in the match. And I don't think that exists today. It's all about Oh wow! Look at the technical form on that drop kick from the top rope, and what's Meltzer going to say? And I, I think that's how a lot of it is viewed by the wrestlers, not not all the fans, but the wrestlers think about. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, if, if I could go back to a point Bill started the show with, and then carry it forward to our discussion now, Bill talked about watching some of the shows and not knowing who was in the ring unfamiliar talent yeah well in the old days that would happen but there was enough psychology and pacing of the match where the viewer or the fan throughout the match could make up their mind who they wanted to win the the characters would develop themselves within the course of the match and you would decide, you know what? I didn't know who was who, but I really want A to win. Or no, I want B to win. But it's it's so 
high spot and so fast paced that like, God forbid, there should be, you know, 10 seconds of downtime that if you don't know who is wrestling, you really don't have an opportunity to, to care who wins. Yeah. And you know, you were talking about the abdominal stretch. Well, back in the, back, not, 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 not where I came from, where I came from was superstar Billy Graham, maybe against Harley race, the orange bowl, but, uh, or Bob Backlund. Uh, but at that point, somebody would have somebody in an abdominal stretch for 10 minutes, the struggle and nobody yelled out boring. Now, if somebody's in there in an abdominal stretch for one minute, you got to move, flip them over, get out of that thing. Yeah. Well, and, a minute. I think a lot of that, uh, and, and I, I don't mean this in, in a negative way or, or, or a positive way. I think a lot of that is driven by the, you know, the 18 to 49 viewers that, that they're targeting, or maybe mm -hmm. even a little younger, they're used to, wanting and getting instant gratification that you know they they're not interested in in like a long bedtime story they want it boom now and i think part of that is they're afraid if they would do anything like that as bill said you'd hear boring you know within 60 seconds where in the old days you never heard that no and it's also a fact that right now even though there's three hours of Monday Night Raw, there's TV time to consider where you can't hold somebody. Although there have been matches that I've seen with Drew McIntyre, who used to be Drew Galloway, never Gallagher, um, uh, and excellent matches, long matches that he has uh, worked in that shows that the fans can keep interest if they're fed that stuff. It's all education. But I think that the companies just think that fans want this fast-paced, riotous action all the time. Did you read? I, I didn't see the whole thing yet, but I saw some of the uh, Ring of Honor Best in the World. There were actual wrestling matches on, and it was a pleasure to see. What? Yeah. How dare they insult today's product like that? They'll never get a major TV contract. <laughs> One more thing is, is that when you think about old versus new in the old days and i say old days 20 years ago wrestling <laughs> on tv wrestling on tv was an event and a spectacle and it was on tv and fans of wrestling would almost watch any wrestling show that was on tv correct and today there's so much on tv i mean even 20 years ago there's 99 cable channels now there's 99 cable channels plus you know 150,000 streaming options, plus YouTube, plus this, plus that. And I think that there's just so much out there. It's hard to hold people's attention. And I want to move on because we have to get to Paul Orndorff in a break. But but yet, but yet, WWE's ratings went up again last night since we're taping this on Tuesday, on Monday night. Uh, it went up in the pre-Money uh, of the Bank show. And I was I said to Nick Houseman from Wrestling Inc., I said, I bet they're Ratings are going to tank this week, and they went way up. And, and to, to Bruce's point real quick, I mean, think about it. Just WWE between Raw, SmackDown, and NXT has seven hours a week. This is just WWF, not AEW, yeah. not Ring of Honor, not Impact. I mean, and 205 Live, they yeah, have that. There got, is just so much on uh they've lost track yeah i mean after a while it it literally when you see wrestling on tv it's almost like white noise it, just, it doesn't register and and you you add that to aew having one show and now they're going to have two shows ring of honor mlw is getting a tv deal it's it's insane but but you know what it's good I, I'm going to use the old cliche. It's a blessing for wrestling fans. It really is because you have a lot to pick and choose. And we do this because we love wrestling and AEW has, you know, a second show, I think will be a different format than their first show, uh, than the, the uh, dynamite show, but you know, you have plenty to uh, choose from, but this all goes back to when I was channel turning during the commercials and coming back to the show last night, I said, who are some of these guys? I couldn't recognize them. So yeah, yeah. and I, I kind of take the, the opposite. 
I, I think there's so much on that people almost don't care. It's, it's like they know they can watch it whenever they feel like, so they don't watch it. Yeah. And I, I just think, and part of that, there is so much on that they are using people that you're kind of going, who? And, you know, where Bill certainly mm -hmm. and, and I have a little bit more of a astute eye when we watch it. There are some talents, and I won't name any names, but you watch and go, they don't belong on prime time. Yeah. You know, they need more experience, but they've got so many hours to fill, they're forced to use whoever they can get. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. I, I do want to say, well, let me let me just say that this is Wrestling With History on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Visit vocnation.com. Go behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history, and VOC Nation is contained on one RSS feed. So make sure you subscribe to VOC Nation Wrestling Network on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Uh, Paul Orndorff, born October 29, 1949, died tragically, not tragically, but sadly, on July 12, 2021. And in my opinion, and I'm a, a child of the 80s, I was born in 1980. And I grew up watching wrestling. You know, I'm six, seven years old, and I'm always wondering, is Mr. Wonderful going to turn on the Hulkster? Is he going to turn? Is he going to be with the Hulkster? You can't trust that guy, Hulkster. And Paul Orndorff was that guy. I mean, you think of all the major big show feuds that Hogan had in the 80s, Saturday Night's main event, uh, the WrestleManias, all the the, the pay-per-view kind of stuff that happened before the, the modern era. Mr. Wonderful was a common theme, a common either friend or foe of Hogan. And he was involved in all of the formative WWE years in that story, those storylines. So I want to ask you first, Ken, because you were there during the height of this. I think you were there during the famous cage match. Give me the sense of Vince's opinion of Orndorff. And was he ever considered to have the title or any title because he, did, he didn't he didn't hold a belt while he was there you know i i, I don't know if, if he was ever considered but i think one of the things that vince liked about him you know though in those that was the heyday of the really big strong guy and while orndorf wasn't that tall he had that body build physique and I, I always look at today versus back then and the, the philosophy back then. I mean, Paul Orndorff was a good talker. Yes. He gave great interviews. He had the intensity, but yet they still paired him with Bobby Heenan because the philosophy back then is we've got someone who is really, really good by himself and we can pair him with Bobby and make him great, make him even better. And today it's kind of like, well, if he can't talk, we'll, we'll, we'll give him someone. And certainly the, the death of, of Paul Orndorff w was tragic and, you know, hit home. I had the privilege of, of working with him, but to, to put it in perspective, <clears throat> I never thought about this. And someone messaged me that, do you realize with the death of Paul Orndorff, every one of Hulk Hogan's opponents in the first six WrestleManias, oh, every God. one of them are now gone. Every yeah. one. Yeah. Roddy Piper, King Kong Bundy, the Macho Man, Paul Orndorff, Andre, the Ultimate Warrior, they are all gone. Yeah, yeah. That's tragic. I mean, it's it's tragic. It's a tragic look at the industry. See, now there's there's um, 
Uh, there's another part of Paul Orndorff that was both pre and post his glory days in WWF. And that's, I got to know him really well uh, when I was covering shows in Toronto that Jim Crockett Promotions was promoting up there and in the Carolinas. Um, he was, he was a, a hell of a, a force there. He was, rather than just the muscle stuff, um, he, was it something I said? No. Oh, okay. You already took your bathroom break. Okay. Um, For the video people. I yes. Think. Now that robe, by the way, that robe was made by Olivia Walker, uh, Mr. Wrestling Number Two's wife, who made the robes for uh, Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. Um, but to, as I was saying, in the Carolinas, um, he showed that he wasn't just that muscle that we used to go in the magazine when a guy would pose like this, we used to call them muscle duty guys because it looked like they were going to try and make duty while they were posing there. So we called them, you know, hey, there's Hogan doing his muscle duty post. That's an inside story. So Orndorff showed that he was more than that muscle duty guy. He showed in the Carolinas and Bill Watts territory what a fine professional wrestler he was. And he was excellent. Uh, he was an excellent mat technician, as they say. Uh, the fans, um, the fans hated him in some of the territories, and they loved him in some of the territories. Also, he was a big force in uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. I remember him uh, down there as well, with uh, Gordon Soley interviewing him. And uh, um, yeah, he had a hell of a career. He worked almost everywhere. Also in uh, all over Europe and Asia. He was the consummate professional wrestler. And I'm going to say exactly what I said on my after chat video on OneWrestlingVideo.com is that when you talk about a guy who was always willing to uh, say yes to an interview or photo session that I needed to, to uh, do, he always was there to do it whenever I asked him. It was never no. He, he knew the value of the marketing but that's not necessarily why he did it. He did it because I asked him to, and we had a terrific relationship. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Paul, a lot of people don't realize he was a tremendous athlete, uh, a very successful college football player. And, and I'm pretty sure was drafted uh, in the NFL. I, I mean, wrestling fans know him, you know, as Mr. Wonderful in the ring but he was as accomplished an athlete as any of the wrestlers. The draw that he was for Vince McMahon was that incredible show, The uh, I think it was the main event up in uh, Toronto uh, that I think inspired McMahon to start planning the WrestleManias. They drew an, an incredible the crowd classic. there. And, what's that? The Wrestling Classic. Yeah. And, the first uh, pay-per-view. And it was not, well, no, I don't know if it was that show in Toronto. There was another show in Toronto. That, they, uh, was it the big event or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah the big yeah. event. Yeah, it was that one. And uh, I just remember, you know, we were banned from taking pictures back then, all the wrestling magazines, but we had a press photographer there. And uh, I had let uh, Orndorff know that we'd have somebody at ringside and he made sure he gave a couple of poses, but just the focus that he had in the ring and the, the pile driver shot that I remember him pile driving Hulk Hogan was just a classic shot. He got over his persona, even if he hadn't gotten involved with Bobby Heenan at all, he would have made it on his own because he had everything needed to be a professional wrestler. And like Ken said, he had the gift of gab as well. Yeah, I mean, some of his interviews uh, the intensity was off the charts. And one of the other things that made him was like some of the stars weren't willing to do quite as much. Paul would, if you were working with Paul, when the time was right, he would sell the heck out of you. You know, I mean, he, he took, but he gave as well during his matches. You, th you think about it, there's a lot of people talk about 93,000 in the Silver Dome or this or that, you know, the Shea Stadium crowd, 
But really, Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan drew 74,000 yeah. fans yep. at uh, Exhibition Stadium, I think it was in Toronto. And that was pre-cable. Pre-cable, pre so 74,000 fans. And I don't think a lot of fans understand how great Paul Orndorff was. Because when you think about the mega, mega stars, you think of Hogan and Savage and Andre the Giant, Bruno, superstar Billy Graham. But Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, that, that card probably doesn't draw 74,000 for a WWF show in Toronto without Orndorff as part of it, or somebody that was a real antagonist to Hogan. Well, not only was he the antagonist, but I mean, during his matches, he made the fans believe. Yeah. And he looked good. Yep. The whole That's thing good. is today you see, so I'm going back to, uh, going back to uh, today's wrestlers. This guy looked like a professional wrestler. There was, and by the way, just to show you how much this meant to the world, the loss of him, his obit was in the New York times today. You know, it's funny. I saw some of the sports sites had uh, uh, paid homage to Paul Orndorff, homage, whatever, to Paul Orndorff, and Tribute. they they didn't they didn't advertise him as a professional wrestler. It was former, I, I think, Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the somebody drafted him uh, in the NFL. Former yeah. NFL draft pick Paul Orndorff turned professional wrestler passed away really a little interesting a little insulting to the professional wrestling genre but nonetheless well I mean like I said he he was one of the best overall athletes <laughs> I mean you, you know you look at some I mean Paul was drafted in the NFL you know Randy Savage till he threw you know his arm and his shoulder out was you know made it to triple a baseball for the the Cardinals uh, as a catcher, I mean, there were some amazing athletes that learned to wrestle. And Paul was, you know, is still revered. I mean, um, I, I, I'm not sure if it's the state of Florida or the NCAA, but I mean, he's in a couple college football yeah. all games. I mean, he yeah. was a, a great uh, player. And, and it's just like, the lifestyle, uh, you know, the other incendiary things they may have gotten into, but so many of those stars are gone. It's like I talked about all six of Hulk's opponents and then the first six WrestleManias are gone. If you think about it, and they, it was such a part of WWF, you know, in the 80s and, and uh, 90s, the same is true Every single member of the Bobby Heenan family is gone. Wow. Yeah. Everyone, wow. I mean, Bobby is gone. Paul Orndorff, Andre, Kurt Henning is gone. Big John Studd, Rick Rude, King Kong Bundy. The entire yeah. Heenan family is gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's the. But, but his lovely wife, Cindy, is still with us. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, one of the. But that was a different Heenan family. I know. I know. One, one of the things that I remember most about him also, I keep mentioning the days in the Carolinas, he and Superfly Jimmy Snuka were one of the finest tag teams I had ever seen. They were absolutely incredible together. And you remember how good Snuka's body looked back in the 70s also? They were like two Mr. Wonderfuls. Yeah. I mean, they, they, were, they were amazing together. Bill, yeah. going back before pre-WWE or WWF, Paul Orndorff worked a lot in Florida. And was I've heard different things from different people that Hulk Hogan, he gave Hogan a, a tough time in Hogan's early days in Florida. Did, did you hear any of those stories about yeah. Orndorff working stiff with Hogan? No, no. But I, I, I do know that everyone in that Florida territory worked stiff because that was the way that uh, Eddie Graham and pre him, Cowboy Luttrell, all these people, that's the way they work. I, I remember Terry Funk used to tell me, he said, after when you're working in Florida, there's nowhere between you and the guy you're working with. Yeah. I heard that from Manny yeah. too, uh, yeah. as well. He talks about well, Manny and related to Terry. And yeah, yeah. so it's the no, same. I mean, in the 80s and, and you know, into the 90s, the philosophy was, 
if you don't feel it, don't sell it. Correct. And now, I mean, even on TV, you'll see some guy, a drop kick or some maneuver, he'll miss the guy cleanly by like six inches and the guy goes down like he was shot by a sniper. <laughs> oh my God, he missed him with that clothesline, but he flipped over anyway. He's practicing his acrobatic skills. And then bounced out of the room. Uh, Ken, we, um, there's two things that I, I always ask you on this show. And one is about backstage interviews and, and the preparation. And I want to ask you about that with Orndorff. But the other thing is because you were behind the scenes and you traveled a lot with the, the guys and the girls in the eighties, how was Orndorff received in the locker room? Was he, was he well-liked? Was he well-regarded or was he somebody that was, uh, you know, off to himself like the macho man? Uh, I mean, Paul, on his own was a quiet guy. He was, you know, absolutely well respected um, from his work. Like I talked about, he would certainly sell for you. Um, I, I think the book is, as Bill referred to on Paul was, um, if you're working with Paul and you don't work with Paul, Paul could work a little stiff. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he was overly well-liked because he wasn't that much of an extrovert. You know, Paul w was quiet. Um, one time, I, I forget where we were going, uh, I ended up driving with Paul and, you know, Bobby Heenan. Um, and just as a rib, they, the two of them pretended to get into this huge argument. They were going to pull over the side of the road you know, and they were fighting it out. He's had it. He didn't, I'm leaving you here. And I've got to, you know, I was in the back guys, guys, you know, you know, and then they just burst out laughing. I mean, they love to, to, to pull, you know, ribs, uh, on, on people, but not malicious ribs. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that was the mode of the guys that traveled every night, uh, especially in Florida that happened, quite a bit that was a six night a week territory and uh, you know the guys used to pull ribs all the all the time but paul was uh was he knew where his money was coming from and the money was coming from being able to put on a an athletic performance that people will want to come back and see him again and he never faulted with that that and i i remember you know talking to to fans sometimes after the shows um where if you know for a while paul was upper mid card wasn't main eventing and he would you know so some of the fans weren't really that familiar with him and he would come out to the ring at a house show you know like you know in in the action figure you have bruce and that kind of long flowing red robe and when he would take it off and the fans would see that physique, they were like, holy cow, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, so that was another way that, that he got over because, you know, the, the big guys like Hulk, like John Studd, you know, even if they weren't that well muscled, you know, like King Kong, Bundy, Andre, fans were expecting to be physically awed by them when they saw them in yeah. person. But not so much Paul because he didn't have the height. And he would just come out, you know, in this robe, and then he would take it off. I mean, the fans were suddenly really paying attention, like, "Wow, sure. look at that guy!" Sure. You know, it's funny when he worked at uh, Herb Abrams UWF. One of the things I always remember, Bruno Sammartino, who was one of Herb's broadcasters back then. I always used to tease Bruno that he never could pronounce Orndorff's name. Every time I hear Orndorff, Bruno go, you know, this Horndorf guy, he put an H, you know, this Horndorf, you know, he's got the build and this Horndorf guy. And like Bruno is a Mac man instead of McMahon. But uh, Paul and I used to joke about that uh, all the time. I used to go into the dressing room. I'd say, hey, Horndorf, how you doing? And he would always get a kick out of that. And, and, and only Bill could get away with picking on Bruno San Martino's ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so or, or Orndorf, towards the end of his WWF run, I mean, I, I guess you could say it was tragically cut short. I mean, he was at the top of the card and at the top of the industry. And then he had a weightlifting accident in 1987 that really cut that run. And he was gone January of 88 took some time off to heal and then never, never was the same. 
I mean, never, he had a short run in WCW for a couple of years at 90 and then again, 92, uh, I think 92, 92, 93. But Bill, was it WCW not using him to his full potential or did he just not have enough? I mean, he wrestled in WCW. He worked matches, but yeah, but it wasn't I, the same. No, I, I think what happened, he had peaked in WWF at that point. So when he went elsewhere, it was kind of like, you know, as Paul Orndorff, we've seen him, you know, uh, against Hulk and, the, you know, at the garden and the whole bit. And it, he just... He was a, a character on a different level than he was the first time around. So I don't think it was just the way they used him, but he wasn't in that uh, huge WWF focus at that point. Yeah, I, I think it was a little, you can almost liken him, uh, Bill and Bruce, to the same thing with Bret Hart and WCW. Yeah. They just didn't really know how to use him. Yeah, yeah I, I think that was part of it. And I also think that a part of it was that he was out of that major WWF spotlight because that's where he's shown. That's where he was mixed in with Roddy Piper and Mr. T and all that stuff that started the whole rock and wrestling connection. I mean, he was a part of that whole thing. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. In WCW, he had the run with pretty wonderful Paul, Paul Roma and Paul yeah. Orndorff. And, you know, he had that whole... That didn't move me. Yeah, it, it, he had the fans calling him Paul, uh, and, and that, was, that was a little bit fun. And then his career kind of came to an end uh, in the late stages of WCW. Fans probably don't realize that Paul Orndorff was still kind of wrestling at near the year 2000, but he was on the last few episodes of Nitro and he injured yeah. his neck, uh, I think from a pile driver. And, and that was it for Paul Orndorff in uh, 2001, maybe. He did, so, he did, you know, after his wrestling career was over though, he did do a lot of uh, the conventions and stuff. He kept, oh, yeah. he kept his face out there. And yeah. he was always, I, I mean, he was such a star in WWF. Oh, he was one that fans always got excited about meeting. Yeah, well, he was he was part of that initial WrestleMania, which those four guys in that match, Hogan, Mr. T, Piper, and Orndorff, are, I mean, forever together, and they're they're forever icons because they were the main event of that first WrestleMania. I, I guess you can extend that to Bob Orton and Jimmy Super, Superfly, Superfly Snuka. I don't know if there's a lot of wrestling fans, casual fans that have seen a Bob Orton match outside of seeing him in that first WrestleMania. You know, a lot of people remember him with the cast, but mostly because of that WrestleMania, right? Yeah. And, and as uh, Roddy Piper's bodyguard. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> Uh, Ken, I want to ask when Paul Orndorff came back and was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think it was 2004, the Hogan class, were you surprised? You know, he, he left and he left and went to Vince's competition after being away for a while was and, and you were gone at that point. But there's a, a lot of times Vince can hold a grudge for a little while and 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 then he'll he'll bring people back. But sometimes it takes a while. And Randy Savage, it never happened. Were you surprised when you saw him in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, not really, because it, as you know, you talked about, Paul was there and he got hurt right. and stepped away. It wasn't like he left to go to WCW. And I'm guessing at that point, you know, he got the offer from WCW. I'm sure he at least... Uh, you know, Paul was always very respectful of business. I'm guessing, uh, just my own supposition, he probably at least talked to Vince and either the, the interest wasn't there or maybe Vince said, I can't 
match that offer. So the fact that Paul originally stepped away due to an injury, I don't think it was anything that, that Vince ever, right. you know, held a grudge against him because I, I'm guessing, and, and Bill's probably better qualified uh, to answer, but had Paul not gotten hurt, I'm sure his run atop, you know, WWF would have certainly continued for a while. 100% so agreed. Feelings toward Paul. 100% agreed. I think had he not gotten hurt, he would have remained on, on that top or, or semi-top spot yeah. for years to come. Yeah. Bill, in, in your run-ins with Paul Orndorff after that and, you know, on the convention circuit, <clears throat> did you ever talk to him about what was he ever regretful about not being able to do more? I mean, I know he worked at the top of the card until he was almost 40. And there's a lot of people that mm -hmm. can't say that. But was he did he was there the feeling that that arm injury prevented him from being even even bigger and even no, bigger star. No, he always had this positive attitude where this is what uh, this is what's happening to me. Uh, you know, sometimes I talk his voice when he got older and he used to talk to me all the time. Uh, no, he never regret. He never looked back and said, "Boy, had this not happened or that not happened." He will always move forward, and that that was one of the great things about him because all the interviews that I did with him, <coughs> you'll see no matter what I ask him. He always turned it into a positive. And, and I guess you say interview, and I'll, I'll end with, uh, with this, Ken, and it's something I always ask you, Paul's preparation for backstage interviews. And, and remember, for, for fans of today that weren't around during the 1980s, the backstage interview segments on syndicated TV were the things that got people to show up and go to those house shows. And a lot, everybody prepared differently and it wasn't really scripted like it is today. They had some talking points and they, they basically were on their own. So what was Paul's preparation like and how did he go into those segments? Well, you know, again, when you talk about some preparation, all that consisted of back then was, you know, knowing the town, you know, what the match was and, and when it was, it was the name of the building. Um, it was all extemporaneous. You know, every once in a while, and for a lot of my time with Paul, he had, you know, Bobby Heenan with me. And, you know, we generally would, you know, get ready. We'd know where and when, if it's in two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And then, you know, I would say, you guys have anything special? And sometimes Bobby would say, you know what, make sure you mention this. Or Paul might say, hey, I, I, I want to talk about, you know, that. But it, it, it wasn't rehearsed. I mean, there were, you know, they say, hey, mention this and let's get into that. And then we would just do it. So it was, you know, all great. And Paul was another one, not quite to the degree of Roddy Piper. But the closer we got, his intensity within the interview talking about the match would be dialed up. Yeah, you would feel that his hatred of his upcoming opponent was absolutely 100% genuine. Yeah. The, the, the difference was uh, like between Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper, Paul made the hatred, the intensity, absolutely believable. But, but Piper did that as well as injecting the fact that is this guy nuts you know, Paul didn't have that, but the intensity, the hatred that I want to destroy that guy, he had the ability to make that absolutely believable to motivate the fans to say, we're going to buy tickets because I want to mm -hmm. see this match. But he never kind of went over the top in the fans, you know, didn't know if he was psychotic or not, like they thought with Roddy. But yeah. his, his intensity, you know, was there. And, you know, as I said, like Roddy, uh, Paul had the ability in his interviews to make the fans believe. Yeah, he, he knew how to bring people to the fans. He knew how to bring pe people yep. to the box office. Yep. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Bill, better heel, better face. Oh, bad guy. Bad guy. Ken, better heel. A absolutely better 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 here yeah, i'm still i'm still rule breaker and and uh and fan favor i, st I still talk magazine language yeah <laughs> but um paul was a a, a much better heel there you go and 
I, I think he, in you know, it was like some guys, like Bobby Heenan loved playing the heel. I mean, there were guys that were good at it, and there were guys that were good and loved doing it, loved being the heel. There you go. Paul Orndorff, October 29th, 1949, July 12th, 2021. Rest in peace. And hopefully we did the career of Paul Orndorff justice today. And guys, that's that's a wrap, uh, an abbreviated edition of Wrestling With History. Can you have the gathering coming up in uh, about a week from when we record this, right? Uh, a week from Thursday. Yep. So make sure you go to tmartpromotions.com and get your tickets, whatever tickets remain, and some of them might be sold out. Uh, but very excited to have another big event uh, on the convention circuit now that we're in the, uh, I say post-pandemic, I feel like pandemic will go on forever. Uh, but the- uh, You're right, the, the Thursday night barbecue is already completely sold out. There are some tickets. Uh, the hotel is sold out, I think on Friday and Saturday. Uh, but there's uh, rooms at the Holiday Inn about a block and a half away. Uh, and there are certainly tickets for each day of the event is available. And I still think there's tickets for the big dinner Friday night. But the barbecue will know is sold out. Major event of the, uh, the post. Yeah, and I, I wish I could be era. there. I wish I could be there. But we have a major family event that weekend. So... Uh, Send my love to all the fans and all the boys and the girls there, Ken. And Bill, as we close the show, your book is called? Oh, uh, is wrestling fixed? And my answer is no, not yet. <laughs> you know, there is one fan, by the way, there's one fan who is trying to, the name of the book was a shtick name. It's wrestling, it's mark marketing. Right. Instead of, oh, Bill after story, it's wrestling fixed. I didn't know it was broken. People remember it. Okay. There's one fan who, no matter what happens, he sends me a thing on Facebook. See, Bill, it's broken. Guy could die at 105 years old. See, Bill, it's broken. It's unbelievable. And if you're listening to this, you know who you are. There we go. Well, that's it for this week. And Ken, we'll see you at the gathering. Bill, we'll see you. Uh, at the matches. There we go. Not That's even a wrap. We're, we're almost there. All right. We'll see you. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation.